0: Well, this is a passage that is almost too familiar. What I mean by that is that there are some stories in the Bible that people have heard so many times that they have a hard time even hearing them anymore. Now, you know, some people haven't grown up in the church, uh, and then this is going to be kind of fresh for you, but if, if you've been around for a while, you've heard this story of the Good Samaritan time and time again. And you heard somebody tell you that the story of the Good Samaritan is a story about how Jesus wants us to be a good neighbor to other people. And he's held up in contrast against this lawyer who wanted to justify himself. But I think there are three things about this lawyer that we need to pay attention to. Today we're starting this new uh, adult Bible series, uh, Bible study on, on half-truths that Mark is leading. I think there are some half-truths about the lawyer that we may have picked up over the years. I want to sort out. So, one is when we hear the word lawyer, we're probably not thinking about the kind of person that this guy is. You, you may, when you hear, hear about lawyer, you may think about the the fact that uh, when, when lawyers are swimming, they don't have to worry about sharks because the sharks won't bite them out of professional courtesy. Now, lawyers find these jokes terribly offensive and so I, I, I have great compassion on them because they, they endure the opprobrium of our civilization when they hear stories like that and they're told that the problem with a lawyer buried up to his neck in sand is that there's not enough sand. Again, deeply offensive. This isn't that kind of lawyer though. This, this guy is, is, we might think of him as an, as an ethicist, a, a moral theologian. He's, he's an expert in Torah because he wants to know how God's people are supposed to live. He's, he's not that kind of, of lawyer, you know, the, the kind of lawyer where he's on the airplane with the, with the Pope and the Boy Scout and, and, uh, and, and the, the engine runs out and so the pilot ejects and they look and they realize there's only two parachutes left. So the lawyer grabs a strap and jumps out and says, good luck, guys. And the Pope says to the Boy Scout, son, I've, I've lived a long life and I'm ready to meet my maker. Why don't you take the parachute that's left? And the Boy Scout says, no, it's no problem. The lawyer just took my backpack. Not, not that kind of lawyer. He's, he's somebody who's, who's an expert in teaching God's people how they ought to live according to the demands of Torah, according to the way that God has commanded his people to live. He's not the kind of lawyer where, you know, the difference between a lawyer and a catfish is that, that one is, is a slimy, disgusting, bottom-feeding, filthy thing, and the other one's a fish. Not, not that kind of lawyer. And these jokes really are offensive to our friends who practice law, so I hope we'll be sensitive to this. No, it, th- this, man, this man is an ethicist, and his job his job as a teacher of the law is to understand Torah and to understand how God's people ought to live. He would have been called upon to adjudicate disputes. He would have been called upon to help people understand thorny situations. He would have gone around with, uh, it, and, and had had all kinds of debates with other people who were experts in the law, who were, who were lawyers like him. And so when he comes out to Jesus, and here's the second thing I think we need to maybe unlearn about him. When he comes to Jesus, the The Scripture says that he came to Jesus to test him. Now, that word perosmos has a a broad range. It it is the word that is used to describe what happened when Satan came to Jesus to test him in the wilderness. But this isn't that kind of a a testing. It's not like a temptation. Uh, I I think he simply is trying to check this guy out. This, This Jesus has developed a reputation as somebody who's gone around and his teaching has caught fire and and so if, if you're expecting the Messiah, you want to make sure that the Messiah has got his theology right. And so when he goes up to Jesus and he's trying to understand where Jesus is coming from, he, he asks him what probably would have been one of his stock questions in starting off a theological discussion. What must I do to have eternal life? And when he addresses Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, buddy. He addresses him as rabbi, addresses him as... It's a a respectful form of address. And so Jesus, of course, turns the question back on him. He says, well, what's Torah say? Well, there's the Shema. love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yep, gold star. That's the right answer. You do this and you'll live. But then the lawyer asks another question. And this is the one where I think he really gets in trouble in... Our minds. We can have this idea of him as somebody who's trying to find a loophole, trying to, trying to slither out. You know it, it, again, this is, he's an ethicist. He's not the kind of lawyer where the difference between a lawyer and a snake in the, the road is the skid marks in front of the snake. Not, not that kind of lawyer. and the, these questions uh, these, these jokes really are offensive. And in fact, the, the truth is there are, there are only three lawyer jokes and the rest are true stories which really bothers our friends who practice law, and I think we need to be compassionate. But I don't think he's trying to slither out. I think what he's trying to do is do good halacha. He's trying to do good ethics. I mean, if your command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, okay, well, that, that's worship, that's devotion. I can wrap my head around what that looks like, but if I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, well, I need to know how you define neighbor right? I mean, if I have this kind of responsibility toward other people, I need to know who those people are and I also need to know who those people aren't because there's only so much neighborliness that I can, that I can muster. There's only so much that I can do myself. And so when he asks Jesus, the, 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 the translation wanting to justify himself made in, imply that he's, he's a, a slimy kind of character. He's trying to get out of it. I, another way you could interpret this, a perfectly fine way to read the Greek, is wanting to be righteous. Wanting to be just. Wanting to be somebody who does justice. Wanting to be somebody who walks properly with God. And so it's, it's a reasonable question. And it's an honest question. And Jesus tells him a story to answer it the story of the good Samaritan, or perhaps better, the compassionate Samaritan. The story is the guy is dead by the road, or looks half dead by the road. He's set upon by robbers on the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Some of you have have been there. I've been there. It's 17 miles. It's very windy. It's steep, and uh, and it's got a whole bunch of places where the highwaymen could have hidden out. The bandits could have hidden out, and and, uh, and, and caught somebody. And that's what happened to this guy. And so, first a priest goes by, and then a Levite goes by. And, you know, the priest is a priest. The Levite's kind of like the altar guild. And what you're expecting next is, you know, like a you know, priest, a minister, and a rabbi. You get priest, a Levite, and, and uh, you would expect an Israelite, a layperson. But, but here we get a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan which is like priest, a Levite, and a lawyer. I mean, or I mean, a, a, a drug dealer uh, or a terrorist. A priest, a Levite, and then a Samaritan. Samaritans, of course, were, were the enemy. They were looked down upon by good Israelites who were looked down upon by the Samaritans. Turnabout's fair play, after all. And so, for Jesus to tell this story about a Samaritan showing kindness would have really caught everybody's attention now you can understand why the levite and the priest might have passed by after all it's a dangerous road and specifically if the person was dead and you look at him he was left for dead if you're not sure if he's dead or not if you're a priest you actually if you touch a dead body you can't do ministry in the temple for seven days and there's a really complicated ceremony involving finding a red heifer and, and doing stuff with the ashes, and, and, and the, the, so now some people will say that the priest was really concerned about ritual purity because he was on his way to the temple. It actually says he's on his way down to Jericho, so he would have just been serving in the temple. So he's not worried about what he can do that day, but reasonably he could have been concerned about his ability to operate for the next week, and the Levite didn't have the same restrictions that a priest would have, but, but there is, of course, the concern uh, about uh, purity and touching dead bodies. And, of course, uh, you, you, you want to be careful about that. But the implication, I think, is that these guys missed out on an opportunity to care for somebody who was deeply in need, which the Samaritan took. And the Samaritan not only helped him out, he really extended himself. He bound up his wounds. He disinfected his wounds and bandaged them up, and then he put them on his own. This is probably a person of some means, If he uh, probably a, a merchant. He's got his own animal, and he may well have had an entourage with him. Maybe he wasn't concerned about safety. He goes to, to an innkeeper, and of course they know him, and, and his credit's good. And, and he, he not only stays up all night taking care of the guy in the morning, he tells the innkeeper here, is a few hundred bucks make sure he gets whatever he needs and if there's anything beyond that then you know that I'll settle up with you when I get back and there's no question about that because he's a person with that kind of standing who humbled himself to the point of caring for somebody in that kind of need and so at the end of the story Jesus says so you ask who's my neighbor well which one of these guys acted like a neighbor? And the, the lawyer, the expert in the law, and again, this is not the same kind of lawyer where if you have a couple dozen lawyers skydiving out of an airplane, that looks like skeet shooting, not that kind of lawyer. And we really were not supposed to, to tell lawyer jokes like that because they hurt people. Uh, but but it's, it, he, he's an expert in the law, he's an ethicist, and, and, and he wants to know who's my neighbor. Jesus says, well, in the story, who acted like a neighbor? You know, the one who showed mercy to him. He almost can't bring himself to say the Samaritan. Like he can't even say the name of this wicked person. And so Jesus' answer is, well, he was a neighbor to him. Why don't you go and do the neighbor thing too? There's I, I have been dipping my toe into Twitter, and there was a great deal of discussion this week among, uh, among priests, Anglican priests, talking about preaching this passage. And a lot of people pointed out rightly that one of the problems with this passage is historically between the characterization of this, this lawyer as this slimy guy trying to find uh, a loophole and, you know, like one of the lawyers, the, the, the lawyer who, who wakes up after surgery in, in the hospital room, and the, the, the shades are drawn, and he asks the nurse, how come the shades are drawn? And she says, well, there's a fire across the street, and we didn't want you to think you died on the table. Um, not that kind of lawyer, and we really are not supposed to, to do that kind of thing and tell those jokes. But, but uh, you know, this this ethicist, this moral theologian is portrayed as this guy just trying to find loopholes and then some of the the church fathers read this and they said oh well we have to look at the priest and the levite as the law and the prophets and and some of them even say and paul is the innkeeper it it gets kind of crazy but these can have led to some really anti-semitic interpretations. so we want to we know we want to avoid that but then there's also the concern about works righteousness what you don't want to do is come away from these passages and get the idea that that what we have to do is earn god's favor that the way that we find uh any peace with him is by us doing the right thing. That somehow by being a neighborly enough person and finding enough people to be neighbors to that somehow we're going to get ourselves into ourselves into God's good graces. And that's, that's not the gospel at all. That's not good news. That's bad news. Because if my job is to be a good neighbor, I mean, I pull it off sometimes. But... If, if the test is, am I a good neighbor always, I'm going to fail that test. Jesus says to the, to the moral theologian who says, well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor and yourself. Jesus says, well, you do that and you'll live. But the fact is, I don't do that all the time. I don't do that perfectly. And if, if i got to do that to live, I'm in trouble. The good news is, Jesus in fact, is somebody who did that. And through his obedience and his life, we can have a reconciled relationship to God. We can live well as people who have peace with God, who while we were yet sinners, sent his son to die for us, to reconcile us to God. But, what is Jesus's command at the end of the story? Where does this cash out, Jesus says, go and do likewise." The same thing at the end of Matthew's gospel, his last words to his disciples before he ascends. He says, all power, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to do everything I've commanded you. And I'll be with you, even to the end of the age. See, this whole doing what Jesus has commanded us is what we do out of a relationship of love. It's what we do because he has saved us and reconciled us to God. Doing the things Jesus has commanded us to do does not somehow earn God's favor, it doesn't get us more merits than demerits, it doesn't put us in a position where God owes us something. It's what we do as a loving response to the grace that God has showered upon us. And so as we think about what it looks like to be a neighbor, I'll quote the great words of one of my heroes, Eugene Peterson, who was a pastor in Bel Air for 20-some years, planted a a church. He also did the message translation. I've written a number of books that are just magnificent. He says, you know, We're curious. Did the Bible scholar become a neighbor? Did he go and do the love command that he he knew so well? Well, we don't get an answer to that question from Luke. We only get to know our own responses and our own stories. Go and do life.